Welcome to the Thunderstock Show, a collection of valuable brainstorms to enhance your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. Today is my special guest, Cosman. Hey, Cosman, how are you doing? Thoughts? Good, I'm good, good. I'm excited for this one. We have been talking about doing a podcast for months. Life has been crazy and hectic, but we finally got on the calendar. And uh, this is, for the fractional world, a, a huge uh, a content piece that I've been excited to make. So stoked. Excellent. So Cosman, first thing I'm going to ask you is give me and the audience a little bit of your background, kind of, you know, education, both formal, informal, where are you from? Things like that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, once again, thanks for having me on the show here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this as well. So a little bit about me. Uh, my full name is Cosman Gabriel Guru. And for those of you wondering, that's an interesting first and last name. Uh, it's because my background, I'm actually an ethnic Romanian American. So I was born in Eastern Europe, Romania, immigrated here to the U.S. when I was five years old and grew up in the Metro Detroit area. And then in 2010, moved to the great state of Texas. And so spent some time in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and currently in San Antonio. And so uh, from a background perspective, uh, like many first-generation immigrants, I had an opportunity to uh, come here and go to uh, college, was one of the first ones in our family to uh, graduate from college. And I wanted to become a car designer. So I actually went to art school to become an art designer. Uh, I'm sorry, a car designer. And uh, I remember before I started college, my uh, I went into my parents' room and, you know, um, I was I was excited. I'm like, I got to share with you some news. I decided to go to college and I want to uh, do something extremely exciting with my life. And my mom and dad, of course, they're like, OK, you're going to be a doctor, engineer, lawyer. And I said, I'm going to art school. <laughs> <laughs> and lo and behold, my dad was like, why did I sacrifice my life? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was, uh, you know, at that time, I told them, look, if I love what I do, I will be successful and financially things will work out. And that little bit of, I don't know what wisdom I had as a 17, 18 year old really has been a mantra for me um, throughout my professional career and has led to a lot of pursuits, both entrepreneurial and in the corporate world in how I uh, looked at strategies and how to be successful. So uh, 20 plus years in the corporate world, worked at brands uh, such as uh, Samsung, USAA, General Motors, um, a stint at Radio Shack when they were trying to turn things around. Uh, more recently, I was at an organization, a publicly traded company called Stride, which uh, had uh, their main business in edtech with k12.com. And more recently, decided to leave the corporate world and become a fractional CMO and also look to see how to help other corporate uh, other corporate professionals make the transition. That is, there's a lot to unpack. I can't wait to dive into some more uh, details. One follow-up I have is a point where I can relate with you. Um, I told my parents that I wanted to get a philosophy degree. <laughs> so not... Not unlike the the art school completely. Um, so yeah, I can totally relate to that conversation and, and how that went. Um, so how did you, you went to school for art and you graduated with the art degree when you graduated, I'm assuming it was similar to me. It's like, okay, I have my diploma. I have, I have this great experience, did well in right. school because I liked it. How did you choose to make that leap into the corporate world? Like, what was the circumstances for your first step? Yeah, it's interesting. I I just got a message uh, a day or so ago from somebody uh, from the art school that I went to, and uh, he pursued, you know, kind of an art career. And he was like, "How did you become a fractional CMO?" And so I, you know, to me, I I told him, and I tell others, at the end of the day, especially in marketing. It, it's still creative in nature, right? Like you're creating something, right? You're not creating necessarily a, a drawing. In some cases, if you're in creative design, right? Like you're creating an output, but you're creating a something that is a benefit to others. And so 
to me, that was kind of the thread that helped transition early on from, you know, working at General Motors and our design studios, concept cars, like every, you know, a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. But I uh, quickly realized, like, in order for me to uh, create something uh, that was seen by more than just a handful of people, uh, there was this thing back in the day, and I'm going to date myself here, this thing called the internet that came around. <laughs> and so um, and so I just was really fascinated about the idea of creating something, designing something that was instantly seen and consumed by the world, right? And it's a matter of how you reach them, et cetera. And so that actually led to me um, starting my own web design and development company back in the early 2000s. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so I had an agency, a digital agency before a lot of you know others were having digital agencies, right? You know, right. And so back then it was more emphasis on like developing web pages, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. quickly went into something that's, you know, more interactive, digital e-commerce, you know, built some large scale, um, you know, online e-commerce shops, et cetera, built a team of about 35 or so people uh, back in the day, uh, being ethnic Romanian, partnered with somebody out of Romania, where I had a, my, a lot of designers, developers, et cetera, had the sales and marketing on, on the U.S. So it was, you know, a global organization, a global agency uh, early on. And so really, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, again, so did you do that while you were working in corporate America? You did great both? question. So about three years, I did both. Yeah. And uh, in 2005, I decided to go all in and left General Motors and pursue the digital world. And so uh, did that for a few years full time uh, until later in the 2000s, uh, when uh, Europe, I'm sorry, Romania went into the European Union. And so just financially, it really didn't make sense anymore. And so that's when I pivoted to working for uh, boutique digital agencies in the Metro Detroit area, because I had that background in uh, business, uh, design and technology. And so uh, it was an awesome opportunity to start working uh, through this boutique agency with larger brands. Mm. And then back in, um, we'll say the late 2000s, uh, started to realize this thing called social networking was going to be a thing. And so uh, I, I really dove in hard on understanding what social media meant for businesses, right? Beyond just, you know, uh, college kids connecting on Facebook, right? What does right. that really mean for businesses and how do you create content, be strategic, et cetera. And so I was uh, fortunate to be uh, a social, air quotes, social evangelist at different mm. Uh, events and conferences for the agencies, which uh, gave me the exposure to brands, which led to the Samsung role. So I was actually Samsung's. Okay. So when you were with the boutique agency, being the social evangelist, it was a huge foot in the door to larger opportunities. Totally. Yeah. It just gave you that exposure. And, uh, you know, at the time, the, uh, you know, influencer world was very small, right? And it was influencers before we knew we were influencers. And um, and so I, I uh, it gave me an opportunity to, uh, you know, go to Samsung and be their first. Uh, and, you know, the CMO at the time told me, he's like, we got a mandate from South Korea that we need this social media thing in our marketing team. And you're the first social media title person in, the, in, in all of Samsung. And so I'm like, okay, let's see how this works. <laughs> And so it was it was uh, it was fun and challenging. Had an opportunity to, to be a part of uh, at the time two Super Bowl commercial activations. Led all of their social and digital and working together with some great agencies, et cetera. So it started giving me that exposure to not just uh, what social and digital and content marketing can do, but what it can do at a at a large scale. So it really um, will say what my appetite to really pursue it deeper and go beyond just social and content, just really start thinking strategically. Oh, um, really starting to think strategically about uh, all of the different things that you can do uh, from a mass reach perspective. And so, you know, pursue to other, you know, like I said, other companies. To make an analogy with like baseball or football, you pretty much with a boutique agency, that was part of my background as well. I worked for a handful of boutique agencies, got into running operations. I think I had, I don't know, 12 people that were directly reported and 40 people that were employees of the agency. For my area, that was 
a pretty sizable scaled agency, but in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the metro areas, it's very much a boutique. Um, so I understand that background, that world, but taking that, I, I would liken that to being like a, a division two college football team. And mm. then when you got the Samsung, you're just like, Hey, you're quite literally in the NFL. Like you're in the big yeah. leagues. Oh that, yeah. That oh yeah. And, but what was interesting is I was in the NFL on a, um, what's, what are those teams called that first entered the league? Um, yeah. You know, Houston Texans about. was an example 10 years ago. Yeah. 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 Except for, uh, I want to say for, anyway, my point is it was a new team in the league because yes. they didn't really know. So they were, they, they, at the time, you know, obviously Apple was killing them with the launch of the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's how data this is, but uh, they were selling volume. Samsung was sell- selling volume of uh, mobile ha- mobile units, but they didn't have the brand, right? So they that's when they launched the Galaxy line, which I think now they're what Galaxy five hundred. I don't know where they're at right <laughs> now, but um, so I was part of the the team that helped launch the the first Galaxy uh, Galaxy two and three. So I'll I'm going to ask a question that sort of encapsulates the background, right? So you you're from Romania originally born there, then to Detroit metro area, and then you still had ties with Romania while working in your your agency that you started. Right. So I am my mother was not a US citizen until I was about 30 years old. So she so she was a, a second language like English is a second language. So French, Canadian. So oh, not wow. too not too far, not over the pond, but so I understand the vastly different uh, perspectives that my father and my mother's side of the family had when it came to business. And I think that the immigrant mentality served me tremendously where mm-hmm. it was like, hey, you have the opportunity of a lifetime, like don't waste your potential. Um, how do you think coming, you know, having that background with the family ties from Romania influenced not only your core values and character and, and values and things like that, but also your career trajectory and like your confidence. Yeah. A great question. Being, being the oldest in my fan of four boys in my family, I was seen as uh, the, the person with the answers. And so what, what I mean by that, I still remember I was probably seven years old and, you know, my parents and grandparents took me to, uh, the immigration office to help translate for them. I mean, imagine a seven-year-old, right? And so yeah. there was always that um, expectation, if you will, to to learn and understand how to do things when no one else has done it. And so that that principle, if you will, has really carved. Uh, a lot of who I am in my professional world, right? So mm. you know, when when I'm at an organization, start an organization, right? I really look at, you know, what is that problem? And uh, not only what is one solution, but what are multiple solutions to help establish a foundation and a process and a way to really drive ongoing results, right? And so not to get too business oriented, but, you know, that idea of uh, you know, being able to uh, looked upon as someone to help provide solutions when there wasn't a solution it has been core. And, you know, how do you take the ambiguity and bring it together to be understandable to uh, the organization? So you're, you're translating foreign concepts for your home base. Yeah, that's right. I I remember those same trips going to the immigration office, like renewing green cards, things like that with my mother. And I think one of the reasons I was so drawn to English is because it was her second language. And I oftentimes would like want to help like, no, this is, you know, I'll, I'll be your thesaurus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you mean this word. So it's it's crazy after, you know, I didn't ever think about that before this conversation. So um, no, yeah, that's, that, that's really that's good insight. insight. So, you, you know, you get the Samsung then, then you have a couple other, you know, really high flying at the time, Radio Shack and, and USA are, are huge organizations as well. What led you from Samsung to the other organizations? And at the time, you know, what was your vision for what you really wanted to do? Yeah. So just being entrepreneurial at heart, uh, I, I 
I went the course of corporate America, you know, to one to just learn, right? Just really learn how big organizations do things. Uh, and not only learn, but also I'm I'm a big relational person. I love relationships. I love networking. I love uh, learning and meeting new people, new cultures, et cetera. And so uh, being a part of a large organization was a big, just a big personal driver of mine, right? And then also being able to uh, help others along the way, you know, when I reach to be able to help manage other people, directors, departments, teams, right? Like helping others succeed. So I'm, I'm big on servant leadership and uh, how, you know, how others can uh, be successful, surround myself with people that uh, are of various viewpoints, different viewpoints than me, and just help us, you know, help me and help us be better. And so, uh, you know, going from corporate America, it, it always into like a more entrepreneurial, I would say like that entrepreneurial thread was always kind of in the background. And so I got to a point where, you know, 20 plus years into the corporate world, and I said, you know, do I want to continue to just Okay, you know, get to that CMO internally and SVP, et cetera. Sure, but there was just something, something more. It's like, how can I give give back to organizations mm-hmm. that are really uh, clamoring for executive leadership, uh, being able to make a bigger impact. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate to uh, you know sit alongside and and be alongside a lot of CEOs of these great organizations. Uh, didn't directly report to them per se, but was just, you know, part of that uh, decision making and at the seat with C-suites and saying, hey, you know, there's got to be more than this. And so, you know, that's what really led to uh, this journey of becoming a a fractional executive, right? And understanding what that really means and how to, you know, be able to, you know, help more companies and really targeting smaller companies. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit more on the importance of understanding your niche, understanding yeah. directly target, et cetera. No, I, I hear you. I think that, you know, when you're talking about working for larger organizations, I would say the largest organization that I personally served got to be 600 million a year in annual revenue. Um, so not tiny, not not a fortune 100 necessarily, but you know, sizable company. And I felt like at that time as a, as a marketing consultant for them that we were making an impact, but there were so many other players and so many systems and structures that I felt like I'm a a voice amongst dozens in the department. And then when I saw a, a local small businesses that I'm the only marketer and everything that I do has a dramatic incline in their bottom line. That means that either they're going to be able to pay their mortgage and their, their child's, you know, uh, right. college tuition or not. Um, I, I like that personalized impact that I could feel I could potentially make for business owners. So I can totally relate to the, the purpose yeah. dr- drive that you had for, you know, wanting to pivot your career. When you got into fractional CMO, I would say that it's been a relatively nascent new term. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a more new role. And you've been doing that for three years, four years now? Yeah. So uh, on and off the past couple of years, we really dove in, uh, had, you know, full time, if you will, uh, early this year. Okay. Yeah. So you you did it again. You, you did the digital agency where you worked in the corporate world, and then you did the fractional while you're in the corporate world, I tip yeah. my hat to you. That is, that is totally, something. Totally. And, you know, the, what I love about, you know, the role of a fractional executive is that, you know, kind of this experience of leading teams and outcomes uh, is a main driver of that. I remember, you know, when I shift, when I left the, the corporate world, I said, I do not want to be a consultant. Mm. I, I just, I don't, um, I respect consultants. I've, uh, had I've hired a lot of consultants. I've worked with a lot of consultants, and they bring great value. That just wasn't me, and that was uh, a big motivator for me to find out like how do I still bring on board that uh, strategic uh, thinking, the people management, the uh, breaking down silos, you know, all those soft skills that as an executive within a large organization, like you said, you know, are critical for your success. And a lot of times I say, it's not like, 
what you do in your role and it's how you do it, right? And right. when you're successful in a large organization, you know, what your skill and function is, you know, that you better know that. And a lot of times when I would hire people, um, you know, on my team for a, you know, we'll say a, a senior, you know, media manager, right? Uh, you better know how to do media buying. But I want to understand if you're as a senior or you're managing other people, you know, what are your soft skills around that? And, you know, how do I connect with you and you with others, et cetera? And that was recipe, or I should say ingredients to the recipe to be successful uh, on the team. And so uh, with that being said, like, I really wanted to also uh, lead outcomes and teams. And so that's why uh, the role of a fractional, in my case, CMO, fractional executive, uh, I really found it intriguing. And it was more than just being a uh, subject matter expert in a certain function, if that makes so sense. Is that how you would sort of describe the difference between being a marketing consultant and being a fractional CMO? Is fractional... Okay. So fractional CMO, in other words, you're leading teams, people, and outcomes. And being a consultant, you're giving people technical advice on how to do things. And I think you touched on something, and I would agree with you 100%, that hard skills, like knowing how to do the job function is table stakes like like you sh that should be expected like right. duh and then the soft skills on the communication i think a lot of the value that clients have told me and i'm sure that you've also heard is in the you know community troubleshooting accountability that i bring to their organization mm -hmm. because sometimes these business owners feel like in their organization they may know their employees so so well that they can almost guess the answers that they'll give, or maybe the people that are getting a W-2 check from them will maybe sugarcoat or otherwise um, self-censor the answers. Whereas bringing in a fractional CMO, some some of the people I work with are like, hey, I just need to run ideas past you. Do yeah. you do you get that same sense and that same feel? Yeah. And, and that's the mindset that I bring to any fractional CMO relationship. And I told, you know, one of one of the CEOs that I work with, you, you know, he hired me to be the fractional CMO. Uh, but then I also said, hey, on top of that, you'll also get a coach, you'll get a mentor, you'll get somebody that will challenge you, you'll get somebody that will want the best for you and your company, right? And I think, um, that and it shows up right because i'm i'm in the quarterly planning meetings i'm in the monthly meetings i'm in the one-on-ones with him he runs ideas by me right and uh and a lot of times there, there's a recent example where uh you know he was he made a decision a business decision and i was out of office and i came back and i said uh that that was not the right decision because of a b and c and you know he scratched his chin and thought about it right and so as employees would you know, would not have said and, that to him. And when you were at Samsung, you may not have been in a position that you could have said that to the CEO. Now, maybe you could have, or maybe not, but a early company... in my career, no. More recently, yes. I think yeah. as you as you uh, uh, go up the ranks, if you will, from a corporate perspective, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you you're looked upon as a strategic leader and not a yes person, right? And so you want to be able to find that voice of how you do that. So I'm going to pivot in my line of questioning. Um, I know that the companies that you serve now, some of the common themes um, for your ideal client profile are they're doing at least $5 million a year top line revenue. They may have $20 million up to like funded or, or, or whatnot. And it's around product-based SaaS. And I'm assuming it's B2B, correct? So it, it's, it's, uh, so from a SaaS perspective, I do like more of B2C. And so the okay. company that right now I do is more uh, SaaS based products and really around emerging technology. So there's a lot of um, AI type SaaS companies that are coming out and ones that are, you know, having healthy growth from an MRR perspective and overall, overall uh, ARR, right? Because they've been in in business for a year or two. And mm -hmm. so they're just looking to scale. They're looking to say, hey, you know what? My founder, uh, you know, the founder approaches me and says, you know, I've done what I could do. Uh, I I just, I, I need to surround myself with seasoned executives to take it to the next level. And so, you know, that's where, that's where I come in. And so 
Uh, it's really uh, targeting SaaS B2C companies uh, that are in emerging tech, specifically um, you know, AI and emerging tech type of companies that are focused on how do you scale and grow your overall MRR uh, into a healthy state. So my follow-up question to that is, it's not big corporate America. How did you decide to choose that ICP? I felt like when I started being a fractional CMO, the hardest question asked to me was, well, who's your ideal client? Like, what's your niche? And I'm just like, uh, I've served a wide variety of clients. Like it was the most difficult question for me. And when I finally answered it, I just thought of which company did I help the most in my experience and what were they like? But what, what was your decision-making process there? Yeah, a great question. I, I, I struggled too early on because, you know, I mean, hearing my background, right, being multiple industries, mm-hmm. you know, mostly B2C, some B2B, uh, it, it was hard. Uh, but what I did was I said, you know, what is that current, you know, macro need in the industry of companies that are really growing and accelerating? And uh, you know, late, we'll say mid mid to late 2022, uh, I was really doing a lot of my research around this to do that pivot and focus. And you know, generative AI really came into light. And it wasn't until you know late 2022 with ChatGPT coming out, and then now it's you know every other conference speaker starts off with just the word AI, and then they can leave, right? Everybody's everybody's oh, okay. We got what we came for. Uh, yeah. So it's just yeah. so involved, but the reality is um, how many are out there that really understand the business side of things and how mm-hmm. to really drive results and really use AI to uh, really use AI tools to make things more efficient, especially within marketing. And so, you know, I've been in large matrix organizations where, you know, it was like trying to move 10 Titanics if we wanted to wanted to make something right. Uh, mm-hmm. But with like generative AI, what could be done in you know a, a month now you can do in a day or in a couple of hours, right? And so that's the additional value that I bring. Where not only do I help the, the emerging tech companies uh, help scale, but also understanding their product and how to do things quicker. And so that's a huge differentiator, right? Uh, because when I uh, start an uh, engagement with a, a company. You know, I take a look at obviously the people, the processes, the technology, uh, but really looking at the processes and being like, you know, why, why, why is it taking us a week to do a blog post, right? Here's the yeah. one, two, three tools where it's done, or we need to do some market research. You know, why do we need to hire somebody for $20,000, right? Like let's, here's a few prompt samples. And within, you know, an hour, we have a very well-crafted market research you know, study, right? So there's, there's a lot of uh, ways that you can do it. And it's just AI is, is uh, generative AI is part of my toolkit. Like I'm assuming more and more people these days. And so uh, that's a big differentiator in the space. I've talked to people that say they're prompt. I, I think of generative AI in a lot of analogies, right? Because it's, it is new, it is nascent. People are trying to understand it. Um, Two, two uh, statements that could lead to questions. One, I kind of look at writing prompts as almost writing recipes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could just throw a, a steak onto a frying pan and then lightly season it with salt and it's edible, right? Like you can eat it. But if you use a sous vide with garnish and butter, like that is the mastery. And in my experience, in my opinion, um, so number one, like you could, anyone could be a line cook or, you know, if you want to just like a right. fast food worker, but like not everyone could be like a, a five-star chef. Um, and then number two, I was listening to a podcast. It may have been on Joe Rogan talking about generative AI and Joe Rogan's sentiment to the audience was, oh, it's the end of the world. Like it's going to turn into the Terminator. We're all going to die. And the subject matter expert on the show was like, actually, you're anthropomorphizing AI. You think that it's going to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's really more like your dog. Like it mm-hmm. wants to please you and make you happy. And it's craving inputs and like feedback on whether or not its uh, output was what you wanted. And he goes, are you afraid of your HVAC system? He goes, no, I have central air. Like, why would I be afraid of that? He goes, AI, more similar to that. It has a set of constraints. It kind of gets sweaty or has to work harder when it's outside of there. And really what it's trying to do is like stabilize a comfortable 
uh, environment. So yeah. I, I, based on these two statements, can you provide your uh, maybe an analogy or story on how you view AI and how it's sort of changed or, or your perspective on it? Yeah, I, I to me, it's a tool that's only as good as how the human uses it. Uh, and so, and what, and there could be a lot to unpack there, but it, it seems to me almost deja vu of, you know, when the internet came around, right? You had mm. everybody like, oh my God, it's going to take over the world. There's all this negative, 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 right? The previous mm. medium to that was television. Be, be, before that was radio, right? Print press, like it, anytime a new tool, a, 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 a mass impact tool has come around, there's always been a fear of what it will do to civilization. And so uh, AI, I believe, is more unique in that it, and I'm not an AI expert, but from what I've used it and experienced it, it, it will, you know, you need to start putting some governance around it. You need to start putting some parameters. There. Again, like what can we as humans do to manage it? And that will determine where it goes, right? And so, and, and the internet was similar. I mean, the internet was the World Wide web, like you could do anything, right? But uh, over time, there was some governance put in place and protocols, et cetera. And it is where it is today. You know, there's the dark yeah. web, there's, you know, but there's so much other things that we do with it, right? So, so sort of on topic, do you remember when SSL standardization became a thing? Yeah, of course. Like- for some people, they're like, oh, why do I need to buy an SSL? What is an SSL? It's like, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Why, why do you need a business license? Yeah, totally. And it changed the game for e-commerce, right? I mean, prior to that, I mean, I lived where, you know, I made, you know, I made purchases online without an SSL. And it was like, I my finger would be shaking when I would have put my, you know, and put that return, right? With all my credit card information, which was, mm. you know, a big deal. But now it's like, well, we sign up recurring payments, subscriptions, there's apps for that of how to manage that, right? So, uh, but yeah, from an AI perspective, I I view it as it's a tool. How do I learn to use that tool for the job that I have? And uh, that's what I've been doing, you know, for the past six, nine months. And not just, not just what is it, but actually practically using it and leveraging it. And you know, as we kind of uh, get into a different topic, I've actually leveraged it into like the business that I've launched. So, yeah, I want to touch on um, it's been it's been at least a year. So you've been full time on your own, not with corporate. You've been serving as fractional CMO and you've generated 200, almost roughly 250 million in additional revenue for your clients within a year. Is that accurate? <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so the the revenue that i have on my website is related to the companies that i've worked for like the big mm. brands right and so mm -hmm. uh the strategic uh initiatives that i've been a part of and i've led have led to those revenue numbers and that's a cumulative total right and so uh based on the impact from a financial standpoint, I've used those learnings and I'm applying them to my fractional companies. Understood. And with your with your fractional companies, you've you've identified. I feel like one of your strengths and a trend that's been present in your career has been identifying emerging technologies, learning them, and then educating others around them. That's right. I, I think it's a fair uh, observation. So. Tell me more about your newest uh, venture, the fractional officer method. I know that you and I became acquainted in a mastermind around fractional uh, fractional marketing, and now you're going broader to help all fractional executives. I, I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned earlier that when I started this journey, uh, I, I wanted to productize my experience. And I quickly realized that uh, in the fractional space, there's such a variance of ways to be a fractional executive. Uh, there isn't really a standard or approach. And more specifically, if I want to transition to become a fractional executive, right? And so 
when it comes to like corporate professionals, right? And your your background is more on the agency side. Uh, on, on from my end, there's a lot of corporate professionals that I've realized that when I did my initial market research, they're like, I've been in corporate America 10, 15, 20 plus years. Uh, I've never started a company or a business. How, what does that mean? What is, you know, what is an LLC? What is an S corp, et cetera. Right. Mm. So I quickly realized like the basics of transitioning to be self-employed and also then applying the, the framework of being a fractional executive was really missing. Everybody was trying to figure it out on their own. And so how do I standardize that and, taken what has worked and where I've seen success and where others that I've shared with others and they've seen success and really put it together in a methodology that is able to be very straightforward. And I have the idea of, I want to be a fractional executive. Where do I start? I start with this and then I start my company. I get my solutions in place. I get my uh, first company signed up, I serve my first company, and then now I'm going to scale from there. So the fractional officer method, that's what it does. It helps somebody from the initial idea really save them, you know, weeks, if not months of trial and error to get them started, you know, get that first client, make their first, you know, monthly income that hopefully will replace their existing income with mm-hmm. that they had a corporate uh, job, and then scale from there. And uh, really that methodology, it's, it's a launch pad for that and also building up the community of others, right? And so I know there's a lot of great communities out there that are focused on fractional CFOs, fractional CMOs, fractional COOs. And I was very intentional to call it fractional officer to be able to say there is a methodology around the fractional executive industry and your your specific industry or vertical, that's the customization and the personality and the leadership that you provide to the companies. So you focus really on the commonalities that all people transitioning from corporate will experience. So if there is a four-letter acronym for a fractional chief, whatever officer, you're looking at it like we're you're a fractional and an officer. I help you with everything in between. That's right. That's pretty cool. I I will say I'm I've now taken for granted part of my experience, right? So working in the agency helped me prepare to start my own business in 2019, where my uh, fork in the road was I am either going to work for a Fortune 100 big corporate America gig because at that time I had you know family wasn't a thing, single guy. I was like I, Lancaster County, Lan- Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. There's a lot bigger metropolitan areas than Lancaster City. I don't know if you've even heard of that place. Mm-hmm. So I applied to Google, uh, went out to Ann Arbor, uh, went to, to Lowe's, went to Charlotte. And I was like, corporate badge, people taking naps in the job. I can't walk in certain areas because of NDA restrictions. I was like, not me. Like, I'm still a little too, uh, you know, rural American for that, I guess. <laughs> it's just overwhelming. Yeah. So I decided to start a private equity firm in 2019. And I will tell you this, Cosman. If I knew about your business solution, then it would have saved me two years. Yeah. Two years. I was struggling for two. I'm telling you. I mean, I was like all my savings dumped in, like just figuring out Google searching, Google Academy. Like, what do I even do? And in in 21 months after starting that business, probably 21, 22 months, we got our first transaction. And I finally, you know, as a CMO of nothing for over a year. And then, you know, I was there for three years and I became the CMO of seven businesses in the PE firm. But if I didn't have that background of from zero to something, you know, he went from zero dollars of funding or any revenue to 10 million plus a year in revenue. And to me, that was like, okay, you know, this was a wild ride, but I look at it like, okay, then my idea from leaving that, selling my equity to starting my fractional business seven days between leaving and having my new business off the ground. I was like, that's a lot faster than two years. So as someone that experienced that pain point before, I can't express enough on this podcast, how vital it is for others, how my past self. So anyway, I wanted to share that, that bit with you. Um, No. And I, I I appreciate that validation because I, I, I felt, I felt that as well. Right. Where, 
you know, here I am, you know, I left, I left the corporate world. I know I want to do this, but I don't, I don't want to spend the time or the money to, to, you know, blow through it. Like I, I need, I need to start generating income, you know, in the next 30 days. Right. And so that was like my focus. And, and, you know, that's why I look very heavily in, you know, other communities, you know, mastermind kind of communities, et cetera. Uh, but I was I was seeing some things that were missing, right? And so specifically for you know, if I'm a corporate professional, how do I how do I take that experience and shift it to um, you know becoming a fractional executive? And you know, my uh, again, like this idea of like skip months of trial and error and, and launch a fractional executive business, right? Like that's that's it. So you're you're three months in and you know, but your, your career, everything's led up to this point. What do you see for the vision of the future for, for your career and for the industry? You know, what, what research, what, what's your kind of take on the future of the fractional industry and specifically your role in in developing it? Yeah. So, you know, currently I'm still supporting uh, some organizations as a fractional CMO, However, uh, you know, as a fractional, you're able to kind of cap how many hours you work for a specific company, which I'm being very intentional to allow myself time to build up the fractional officer method and build up that community and really help a lot of others. And, uh, you know, within the next three months, right, the, the goal is uh, to really make that a big focus as uh, the cohort of uh, fractional officers begin to start going through the course and really uh, being able to uh, see their success and work through them and help them. And so, uh, and then really start scaling that right into a, into a, a broader community uh, that helps each other out. And uh, that will naturally draw attention to organizations and companies that want to start recruiting from it. Right. And so, but I, I've, I'm taking it in phases. Uh, I was talking with uh, somebody earlier today and I said, you know, if I would have a dream for the fraction officer method is for it to be the standard in how to be a fractional executive. And that's a that's a lofty goal. So in other words, like how you know project management has PMP certification, right? Like mm-hmm. having a badge that you are certified to be a fractional executive to give you that validity and and uh, uh, authority in the space. And it also will help position you for better for better companies, right? And and companies to have that trust and that they will know what they will get. And so something like that does not exist in the industry currently. And so that's the goal. And I know uh, there's a lot of great, smart people out there uh, that are are looking into this as well. And so I believe that all of these fractional executive communities and um, organizations are, are gonna be moving towards something like that in order to help the the organization, right? Uh, or, or the the industry of fractional executives. Because it's still fairly early on. Uh, there's, you know, as of to, as of this year, uh, I'm attending the first fractional conference uh, that's mm. going to be there later on this later on this year, right? So um, you know, depending on when people listen to this, uh, you know, by then probably there, there's going to be a lot of these, but that's how early it is right now in this space. And so it's, I almost see it to how it was, you know, over 15, almost 20 years ago when I started in the social media space, right? I, I almost feel like it's the same wave, right? We're not necessarily social, but this opportunity of uh, of, of having a business solution uh, for companies to make an impact, right? And so fractional leadership is is here to stay, given all the, given all the uh, opportunities that uh, it, it provides. First, I'm glad to hear the affirmation of the trajectory. My own personal experience, one year ago, pretty much today, I started my business as a fractional. And one of the hardest parts with talking to prospects was explaining what is a fractional. Oh, so you're a marketing consultant. Uh, not quite. Like, No. No. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of warm. Like you're in the same like stratosphere of thinking, but like, let me educate you. I, I, or they're like, Oh, well, you'll just like come to my office three days a week. I'm like, mm, no, not quite. So the education part was a, was a big um, kind of objection handling in the sales process last year. 
And then this year, one, one year later, I've had three, four prospects reach out to me. Hey, I'm looking for a fractional CMO and I'm in your niche. So they've already self-selected and my mm-hmm. sales processes became infinitely easier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's partially because I'm doing more work in marketing myself and what I do, or if it's just the landscape. It feels like both. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting. I did a recent article where I wrote about the growth of fractional executive job titles on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was in August, 2022, there was, you know, less than, you know, I'll say there's five figures. So in the thousands that were on LinkedIn that had fractional executive titles and a year later. So in Q3 of this year, over 85,000. So it's like, significantly increased. Now the question is, okay, well, is it getting saturated at a global level? Not at all. Uh, however, how many of those are truly fractional executives, right? Uh, how many have, uh, you know, do you know what you're getting? And I think that's where there's going to be a lot more uh, companies and prospects are going to be a lot more selective in, in, in choosing fractional executives because uh, they're they're going to be expecting a certain standard, right? And a certain baseline, right? Of of how to do it. It's so funny you say that. I had a, a colleague that for the longest time on LinkedIn, on his website, was uh, marking himself as an outsourced CFO or outsourced backroom services or outsourced financial services. And he's like, why aren't I getting these leads that I want? Marking himself as a fractional CFO. And then he's like, oh, I landed this company from Boston and I'm all the way in Lancaster. So mm. there's a little bit of um, uh, magic to the method. Yeah. And, and to your point, um, I actually, I'm, I'm almost positive that some of my uh, statistics and talking with prospects were for me reading your article on LinkedIn. So thank you. Please oh, keep okay. pers- personal requests. Please keep creating content like that. I will use it. It will benefit. Excellent. Me. Um, <laughs> that, that's what it's created for. It's created for me and you and everyone that's listening, right? Because uh, we're learning together uh, on this on this journey. So, in the spirit of you know taking um, a higher perspective, looking at through you know over the vista, working on people's businesses from like um, uh, how do I say this? From like a lessons learned, from like the wisdom so far. Like, what do you think are some of the the key golden nuggets that if you could go back in time, right? The, the time machine scenario and say to Cosman, before you told your parents that you were going to be an art school major in college, mm-hmm. like, like what wisdom could you have instilled then that you've learned from that point to now? Like, what are some of the key takeaways? Yeah. Um, be, be passionate find that passion point, what, what, what you're really passionate about and go all in. Uh, I was, you know, even with AI, right. Um, I didn't go to school. I didn't get a degree in it. Uh, I just saw, saw that technology and how does it align to what I'm doing? And I was very passionate to not only learn, but use it and use it effectively. So just be, you know, be passionate about what you're doing and, uh, to, uh, always, always learn, like, all, you know, always be in a mindset of learning. Uh, and, and especially, you know, as a leader, you need to write, um, you know, multiple, multiple books, actually, recently, I was at a winter vacation. Um, and uh, it was a 14 hour flight, you know, took a couple of books and you just kind of knocked them out, right? Like, mm-hmm. always, always be learning. And, and so passion, I think learning is a big deal. And just uh, enjoy it. And, you know, in, in enjoy what you're doing. And that's, that's hard when it gets to those tough days of like, well, you know, I've had a few days, there's no prospects or, you know, this client is, ext- you know, pissing me off, right? Uh, you know, find ways, find, find ways to enjoy and remind yourself, you know, why you're having fun doing what you're doing. And, you know, that in turn, I think just reciprocates and, you know, drives a passion, helps you learn, helps you enjoy, drives a passion, helps you learn, right? And so, uh, I mean, that those are the first three things that come to mind. Maybe if I have a few more minutes to think about it, there'll be some more. <laughs> but uh, I think those are some of the the guiding principles that that have driven me. That's awesome. And as far as you know, final question: What character trait 
do you feel like that you've developed over the years that has served you the most? Uh, I think, I think just having conversations like this and just giving, uh, the more, the, the more I realize that the, the, the more I give, the more, uh, others just naturally, you know, want to give as well. Right. And so, and it also draws me to others that want to give. Uh, give insights, give knowledge, uh, do, you know, do, do unique things together. And so uh, that character trait for me is, is I think something that, you know, as I develop in my career and professional life and personal, it's really reaped a lot of personal and professional reward. Well, Cosman, I want to say thank you for all that you've given to the industry uh, specifically to me on this podcast today. It's a great conversation. Uh, final final shout out to to find you, um, find you on LinkedIn, find you on social, you know, plug the audience who's listening, how they can connect. Yeah, for sure. So on LinkedIn, uh, I go by my first and middle name, Cosman Gabriel. So you can find me there. Uh, go to fractionalofficer.com. So fractionalofficer.com, you'll see more about me there. And uh, yeah, so you could just get started there. Uh, those are the the two key areas that I'd love to hear from you and uh, those that are listening. Uh, you know, more recently there is a fractional officer community on LinkedIn. Would love to you know have everybody that's listening to this. It's free. Join, sign up. Uh, it's rapidly growing. I'm really excited about that. And uh, you know, I'll continue to share uh, personal insights. Uh, you know, various webinars, live events, etc. So a lot of great content that's going to be uh, coming around there. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for your time. Everyone listening, if you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend because referrals and word of mouth is the best way for this to keep growing. And until next time, we're out.